What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 155, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis' pilot episode, Rising. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Just like the city, this is going to be rising out rising. of water. Because the shields are fit. I don't know. Whatever. Hey, friends, we're an independent podcast. Now, we had mentioned before that uh, we're, we're, we're reconsidering the Patreon thing, not for any other reason other than just uh, like two like two or three big things. Number one, the main goal of the Patreon, which was pay off Zach's computer, has been fulfilled. Woo-hoo! Which is excellent. And number two, life is life, friends. Life, life is, boy, can life be life. Um, and so since we're not able to devote the kind of attention that we want to with the platform, Side note, there are so many other Patreon contrib- or, like, content creators who develop who who put in so much more time on the platform than we ever did. And here we are like, and we're not even able to do that. <laughs> so um, Zach and I are kicking around a few ideas uh, of what we can continue to do for Patreon and for the patrons. Um, the the short version is that the sort of the current model of, of collecting the number of votes per episode is an incredibly time consuming thing that we want to revamp, maybe even scuttle. Um, we're not sure. We're still talking about it. We have a couple of ideas, but here's the real meat and potatoes of it. Uh, Zach and I are giving ourselves a month, so he's going to send off the votes for rewatch. Um, I think he's at least two months back or, you know, I, I'm, I'm be a few months behind and I apologize for that. But uh, as Brent said, life is life sometimes life is life man so you're going to be getting that stuff and we'll be tallying those votes and definitely if episodes cross that 10 episode threshold we'll still we'll still do it i mean like that's that's not the we're not we're not backing off of that but if we can't figure out what we want to do with patreon in general by the end of october we're gonna we're gonna suspend it we're not going to be collecting your money for that until we figure out what we want to do uh that doesn't mean that this project is in threat or anything uh this was a hobby from the start in no way was that patreon money actually keeping us going um so <laughs> it doesn't matter um but we wanted to be upfront with you guys about that um you know and also because we're going to be doing uh, every other week with atlantis and sg1 um the the opportunities to get off pace are going to be increasing so we don't want to do that too much we, we want to keep this thing at a steady clip because we want we want to get through this this is good stuff we we enjoy this stuff we don't want to be mired in delays or things like that so that's what's going to be happening but uh you friends can still listen to our stuff because that's what we're totally doing and while there still is patreon first stuff out there we didn't empty every part of the vault we just emptied most of it and because we are still going to be uh creating these uh stargate second chances uh based off of your votes uh there's still going to be some patreon first stuff but if you are sitting here on the main feed and going, yeah, well, I mean, come on. We all know that whenever anybody says, I'm thinking about maybe stopping this thing, that they're totally going to stop that thing, which I'm not saying we are or aren't. I'm just acknowledging that that happens. Uh, so I'm just going to sit back here and I'm just going to sit on the main feed and I'm just going to have a good time. But uh, boy, this thing is so much more fun when we have our friends and and families and 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 enemies and strangers and 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 other life forms listening to this content. So I should uh, encourage people to be listening to this. You, friend, 
can encourage others to listen to it. Oh, yeah, Zach, we forgot to talk about uh, another podcast platform. Possibly. Um, you oh. can find us on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts and maybe on another podcast platform. Zach cast my gaze toward it a couple of weeks ago and I forgot to look into it. But importantly, you can find our stuff on all the podcast aggregators. You just type in Walking Through the Stargate and you can find us. So that's how you can tell your friends, enemies, or others to uh, be able to find us. And uh, Zach, if a person wants to get a hold of us and tell us that um, we better figure out some creative way to be doing something on Patreon, even if it's literally just creating, um, you know, monthly pictures of us uh, holding up random things and looking like goons, much like we did last week. Um, and that could be the reward for the highest levels of Patreon supporters. <laughs> How might they reach out and let us know that? Uh, well, if, if you have a great idea for how we could revamp Patreon... And I'm serious. If you actually do have a good idea for how this could yeah, work, for real. please email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is exactly as it's spelled. That's right. Right? Just walking through the Stargate. You yep. all know how... You guys are smart people Super out there. Super smart. And you know how to spell, except for my brother. He still struggles with that a little bit. <laughs> but he's got, uh, you know, he's already got walking through the Stargate in his computer, so it's fine. I just I just sensed a rude gesture through time and space. Just now. Oh, I'm certain that I, <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> or, of course, you can go to Twitter at Stargate Walking. You can go to the Facebooks. We got the Facebook group and the Facebook page and the website, WTTS.space. Space! Or you can go to the Discords and uh, join us on that conversation. We have had a couple of people this week came in and, and yep. uh, popped in there and joined us. So welcome stuff. to you and, uh, you know, join us there. That's where a lot and probably most of our um, social media stuff happens. That's where most oh, of the yeah. events are going on and things, uh, mostly because David is really good with keeping things going, and Brent, you and I are terrible at that. Yes, yes, and I hate Twitter, and I hate Facebook. Give me time, I'll hate Discord too, but I'm not there yet. Well, you know, we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that's how you can get a hold of us. If you've got great ideas, we want to hear them. Uh, if you've got questionable ideas, well, you know, I'll listen to them. <laughs> we won't say no right away. Yeah. All right. Brent. Yeah. Today is a new day. Today is the day. Today is the day when we get to start watching a new show. Yes. A show that is not the same as the old show. No. But is related to the old show. But yes. it's a new show. Yes. This is Stargate Atlantis, the pilot. I know. Are you ready? Yes, oh. I'm ready. Let's talk about okay. this one. So the director for this episode is Martin Wood. This uh -huh. is his first of six directing credits this season. Uh, so uh, we've seen him a lot with SG-1, and he keeps going doing a lot with uh, Atlantis here the teleplay is by brad wright and robert mm -hmm. cooper uh mm -hmm. brad and robert are the co-creators if i recall correctly of atlantis itself mm -hmm. um cool and uh this is brad's first of two writing credits this season uh plus he's got a story credit somewhere in there and robert cooper has this is his first of three writing credits plus some excerpts by credits that are on later on the the show so Yep. There we gotcha. go. 
Uh, we have several main cast members. We've got Tori Higginson, who plays Dr. Elizabeth Weir. We've got Joe mm-hmm. Flanagan, who plays Major John Shepard. Rachel Luttrell plays Taylor Imagen. Rainbow Son Franks plays Lieutenant Aiden Ford. And mm-hmm. David Hewlett uh, plays Dr. Rodney McKay. We say hello yes. again to Dr. McKay. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we really start to see the McKay character develop and evolve and change from that big fat jerk that we saw in the few episodes. He of- was a jerk. But he still has a lemon sensitivity. Yes, he does. And, you know, we'll see. And we see it in this episode, right? He still has those mm-hmm. rough edges and that egotism that's there. Um, but he's also learned things as a character. And we'll see more of that as it goes. Yep. So, um, I don't want to talk about all five of these people today. So, I'm just going to pick mm-hmm. one of them today. And we'll go through the list, kind of, you know, uh, picking them out. Uh, as we go uh, over the next few episodes of Atlantis. Sounds good. Okay, so I'm going to start with Tori Higginson. Uh, Mm -hmm. She plays Dr. Elizabeth Weir. We actually saw her last week when we did New Order. Yep. Uh, She was born on December 6, 1969 in Burlington, Ontario, Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's an actor and a producer. She's known for Stargate Atlantis, Deep in the City, which is in the late 1990s, and before that, The English Patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, she studied at London's Guildhall School of Music and Drama and was in the same class as Ewan McGregor. Oh, hey, that's fun. Just kind of neat. Uh, she has a personal quote. Uh, I did my first convention this weekend, she says, and found this adorable group of girls. I think they call themselves shippers? <laughs> who have this thing about Weir and Shepard and them having sex in closets? It's it's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tori. Uh, yeah, shippers are a thing. <laughs> They're a whole thing. <laughs> shippers are things. Yep. Uh, her first IMDb credit came... Oh, I didn't actually write a year down. Uh, it Early. Uh, in the short, The Photographer's Wife, and she mm-hmm. played Susanna in that. Um, I'd have to go look up on IMDb. I can't remember anymore. So Sure. Uh, we do have several guest actors, and I will walk through some of these. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Richard Dean Anderson playing General Jack O'Neill, mm-hmm. and Michael Shanks returning as Dr. Daniel Jackson for this episode. Mm-hmm. We have a brief scene with Garwin Sanford, who plays Simon Wallace, uh, this is uh, Dr. Weir's boyfriend or significant other or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you may recognize him as the man who played Nareem of the Tolan yes. in SG-1. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I was sitting there like, I've seen you. At first off, I thought he was the like the diplomat that uh, 2010 Sam was oh, married to. yeah, sure, sure. And then I'm like, no, no, that's not him. And then I was like... I've seen him in this show, and then I started to doubt myself. Like maybe I've seen him in some other show, and I forgot. No, no, I've seen him. He was like a he was like a big deal for a while. Yeah, uh, he was. But uh, this is a completely new character, which really threw me off the first time I watched it because I'm like, what is going on here? Oh yeah, um, it's curious because like the 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 Tolan, um. The last we saw of them actually was like getting blown up, <laughs> wasn't it? Or uh, Tolana like, was getting blown up by um, 
Uh, Anubis is forces, but it was before we quite knew necessarily who Anubis was, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a while ago. Yeah. But I guess I guess that's really the main point is like, I think they were rolling the dice pretty hard that like your, I mean, that's a weird dice roll. Whatever. It uh, definitely threw me off. But yeah, yep, there we go. But anyway, uh, we have Christopher Heyerdahl who plays Holling in this episode. He's the, mm-hmm. the boy's father. We've actually seen him in SG-1 too. Yes. Uh, I guess maybe they figured that because this is a completely different show. So this is Atlantis and that was SG-1. You could bring in old actors from this and they can be different characters because it's a different show. But I don't know. Anyway. They figured wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he played the character of Palin in the episode Revisions. That's the episode oh, where yes. they had those things on their forehead that were they were connected to a computer, and their their bubble of safe space was shrinking, and the computer was wiping their brains and tossing some people out yes. into the toxic toxic yes. atmosphere. Yes. Uh, so we saw Christopher hired all there, and we see him again here as Holling. Um, we'll see Holling several more times as the season and series progresses. And I believe, if I recall correctly, that uh, Christopher Heyerdahl will actually play some other characters in Atlantis as well. Uh, so we'll see his name pop up again a few more times. Very nice. Uh, next on my list is Paul McGillian, who plays Dr. Carson Beckett. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually saw him before in SG-1 as well. He played young Ernest Littlefield in the Torment of Tantalus in season one. Huh. Right? Um, But he didn't have any... Did he have any speaking lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had some speaking lines. He in some of the flashbacks you saw uh, Catherine and Ernest talking about some stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And that was Paul McGillian there. Um, And uh, he's back now playing Carson Beckett. Um, spoiler alert, I'll tell you this. In a few seasons, he actually becomes a series regular. Oh. But, but he's not. But now he's, he's not just now. technically okay. a guest actor. Gotcha. Um, this is one of those shows where, which seems to be true in a lot of early 2000s shows, where you have your, your starring actors and you have a whole bunch of guest actors who are just as integral to the whole story as yeah. the main characters are. Uh, and we see this a lot in, in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those characters. Uh, Paul was born in Paisley, Scotland. Uh, and mm-hmm. then when he was two years old, his family moved to Canada. He has a degree mm-hmm. in teaching, and he taught theater in Toronto for a while. Mm-hmm. He has been in a ton of TV throughout his, his career. And as I mentioned, he will eventually become a regular cast member for Atlantis. Nice. Yeah. His first IMDb credit came in 1994 in the TV series The Commish. He Mm -hmm. played a character named Lee Burnett, or Burnett, I don't know, uh, in an episode called Ghost. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is Paul McGillian. We have Andy Frizzell, who plays the Wraith Queen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She's known for Stargate Atlantis, First Wave and Andromeda. So she's done a lot of little mm-hmm. things in that early, uh, late two, 90s, early 2000s stuff. Uh, her first IMDb credit came in the TV series First Wave in 2001 uh, mm-hmm. when she plays Acolyte number two in an episode named Checkmate. Okay. There you go. There we go. We have Craig Veroni, who plays Dr. Peter Grodin. Uh, and... Um, he was the guy at the beginning of the show that was 
messing around with the uh, ancient drone oh, before yeah. Beckett shot it off. Yes. Right? Uh, yep. I'm, pr- I'm pretty certain that was Peter Groden there, uh, played by Craig Veroni. Uh, we actually saw him in an episode of SG-1. He played a weapons officer on the Prometheus in the episode Grace. Oh, okay. And I have for him a very nice mini biography by Agent. By Agent. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain this is not a new biography, but let's run with it anyway. Sure. Craig was trained at the prestigious Studio 58 Theater in in Vancouver, Canada, and has been a working professional for the past 14 years. He has worked extensively in film, television, radio, theater, animation, and commercials. Born in Cape Town, South Africa, he emigrated to Canada with his family at the age of eight. They lived briefly in Toronto before moving to Vancouver, which has been home for Craig ever since. Growing up, Craig was quite an athlete. He was a competitive swimmer and gymnast, as well as competing in wrestling, volleyball, and soccer in high school. He graduated high school from Port Moody Senior Secondary, where his passion for acting began. He is also a real estate specialist in Vancouver, BC, and licensed real estate agent with Remax Masters Realty. Some hobbies and activities of his include keeping fit, swimming, hiking, kayaking, rock climbing, scuba diving, cycling, photography, traveling, and cooking. Aha. Uh-huh. There you go. I find there it fascinating go. that he's a licensed real estate agent. <laughs> I don't I don't know <laughs> why that tickles me, but it, sh- it sh- I shouldn't, but it does. <laughs> you <laughs> Buy your next house from a man who really knows what it means to travel. There you go. <laughs> he is an intergalactic traveler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This man knows all about relocation. <laughs> yes. I'm in a bloody there different no galaxy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much further can I wait? Can I get? <laughs> all right. Sorry. That was a different character and a very bad different accent, character. but that's okay. Uh, Craig's first IMDb credit came in the TV series Welcome to Paradox in 1998, Uh-oh. where mm-hmm. he plays Mess Hall Monitor Droid. In an episode, uh, Hermiac, or Hemiac. Um, we have Robert Patrick, mm-hmm. who plays Colonel Marshall Sumner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Robert Patrick is probably best known for playing the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Yep. Uh, and John Doggett on The X-Files. Mm-hmm. He has the distinction of being the only actor killed on screen by all three of the Planet Hollywood founders. <laughs> so in Die Hard 2, Bruce Willis kills him off. Uh-huh. Sylvester Stallone kills him off in the, epi- in the movie Copland in 1997. Mm-hmm. And of course, in 1991, in Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the third and final actor who uh, started off Planet Hollywood, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger killed him off in Judgment Day. So, yeah. there you go. <laughs> uh, he has been in a bazillion things throughout his career. Uh, it's just been insane. I'm not possibly going to be able to go through even a little bit of them. So, mm-hmm. um, his first IMDb credit came in 1987 in the movie Equalizer when he played the character Deke. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I want to talk about Dean Marshall who plays Sergeant Bates. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know which one Sergeant Bates is? I remember he got yelled at. Yeah, he got yelled at a couple times. He he got to shoot one of the uh, RPGs and took down one yes. of the, the darts at yes, one point in time. Yes, that's right. Uh, he was born in 1969 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He's an actor known for 2012, which happened in 2009, which I just find humorous. <laughs> uh, yes. Tommy Boy in 1995, and then, of course, Stargate Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see him... Uh, Several times, he becomes kind of uh, a, a regular participant in the life of Atlantis as the mm-hmm. show progresses. Uh, his first IMDb credit came in 1992 in the TV series Urban Angel in the episode Deadly Force. Mm-hmm. But I don't know actually what his character was or anything like that. So there you go. There you go. All right. So Rising mm-hmm. aired the week of on aired on July 16, 2004. This is one mm-hmm. week after New Order aired. So New Order yep. aired, okay. and then one week later you had uh, Rising, uh, and then I believe, if I recall correctly, um, Atlantis and SG One. Re- you know, the following week they both air their next episode and are airing them back to back. Um, yeah, which will gotcha. make some of this information redundant half the time. So I'm not certain exactly how I'm going to do this, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, in the U.S., they began listening to Usher, but the yes. U.K. was like still listening to Usher. I'm like, this is okay. Yes. We already have this, so you just continue to burn. Yep. Just you just you just yep. you just keep on burning. You just keep on burning, and you know what do you burn? You I don't know, but yeah, I, I robot. I, I I lost it. I, <laughs> I don't have anything. But, uh, you know, iRobot is about robots. And then Spider-Man 2 is about a guy who puts robotic arms onto his back. And then it goes crazy. Uh, And then Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy, well, he doesn't actually exist in the Spider-Man or the iRobot universe. But if he did, he would totally be there telling us all about everything. And he would spin this into a Cinderella story. (laughs) And somehow King Arthur would come in and save the day. Of course. Of course. Of course. So you know, we, you know, you know what this situation needs right now? A stiff bourbon and some King Arthur. There you go. There you go. Um, okay, so what was happening at this point in time? Well, last week I actually mentioned that on July 16, the Millennium Park opened up and yep. that Martha Stewart was sentenced to five months. One day later, on the 17th, former South African President Nelson Mandela calls for commitment by the world to take action against AIDS. Yeah. Um, And then on July 18, uh, the British Open Men's Golf Tournament happens at the Royal Mm -hmm. Troon. American Todd Hamilton wins his only major title, defeating 2002 champion Ernie Els. By, of South Africa by one mm-hmm. stroke in a four-hole playoff. There you go. There you go. Uh, I have quite a bit of trivia for this opening episode. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. So the production for this episode, and by this episode, I mean episodes technically one and two, right? The, the whole two-part thing, mm-hmm. uh, which originally aired as a single episode, uh, was $5 million. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a lot. So are you telling me that I should not get my expectations up too high that the uh, visual splash of this episode will be continued? So um, (laughs) I think it is safe to say that it won't be quite 
as awesome as this episode visually, but it still is a higher, well, well higher quality than certainly what we got in early SG One stuff. Yeah, right? good, good. Right. Um, this this whole series was filmed on HD. Yep. Um, whereas the original uh, Stargate stuff was not, mm-hmm. uh, but season eight following is. So there you go. Yep. Uh, Joe Flanagan plays uh, Major Shepard, actually does know how to fly the helo that he and O'Neill were in, hmm. but for both budgetary reasons and safety concerns, they did not allow him to actually fly the helicopter, and all of his shots with the colonel were in a sound studio. Yeah. Yeah. You mean the general? Uh, the general. What yeah. did I say? You said colonel. Colonel. Oh, well, you know, I... It's, yeah, a, it's a new thing. It's very it's fresh. A, very it fresh. It is very fresh. This, this is practically the first episode where we see him as the general that's I right mean, yeah i mean you do see it for like the like two seconds yes. at the end of the last episode he gets to do a couple of cool things but this time he gets to do many cool things yeah absolutely so while they are in the dining room of the wraith queen mm-hmm. uh there is a head of a creature on the table yeah and that creature is the head of the mastage, which is that kind of horse camel like oh, creature yeah. from uh, both the movie and the pilot of Stargate SG1. Yeah. yeah. And Martin Wood in the commentary said specifically that since it was in the movie and it was in the pilot of SG1, we had to find a way to get it into this pilot. That works for so, me. There you go. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, in the Atlantis control room, there's those steps that go up from, you know, the, the platform by the gate up the to the, the actual control room. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of words written on the steps in the ancient mm. language. Yeah. And it actually reads something. Oh, okay. Here is what it reads from top to bottom. We hold these as the truth. A hearty welcome to those of other worlds visiting our home for the first time. Welcome again to those returning. You have been gone too long, and your absence has weighed heavily on our souls. We are whole again that you are among us, and we celebrate you being here again. As we leave for distant worlds, we pledge to respect the lands of our neighbors and to act with integrity as ambassadors in peacetime of our people. Travelers with open hearts will always be welcome. Refugees from tyranny may seek shelter under our roof, and our people will lay down their lives to protect the weak and the just. Let this be our pledge to those inhabitants of this world, and all we may ever know, we will always strive to come in peace as we go in peace, and you will be welcome on our shores forevermore. Nice. There you go. Um, let's see here. Uh, in this episode, we see two regular cast members from SG-1. We see O'Neill and Daniel Jackson. Right. And according to Amanda Tapping, who played Samantha Carter, her character and Teal'c weren't allowed to appear due to rights issues. They were Mm. created for the Stargate SG-1 TV show, and including them in this new show in this would mean using the work from one of the producers to boost a new show, a new different show, and that is complicated and isn't okay. Huh. But Daniel and Jack already appeared in the Stargate movie, and therefore they weren't actually affected by those same types of rules, and so we could have them appear in this episode. Huh. Um, now, a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, we'll see 
the faces of Amanda Tapping and Christopher Judge in Atlantis in future episodes. Sure. Okay. Um, you'll notice that the teams are kind of wearing those jackets, and there's sometimes they're different, kind of a kind of a tan gray beige color thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and they've but then they've got uh, stripes of other colors within their uniforms there, mm-hmm. and they actually um, represent different elements of their occupation uh, connected to the same colors that Star Trek Next Generation uses. Oh! So you've got red for command. You'll see uh, uh, Dr. Weir wearing red. You've got blue for science, yellow for engineering. Huh. Uh, and then they added black for the military folks. That's a nice homage. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, the At the very beginning of the episode, we see a couple of ancients looking at each other and one leaves and one stays and then yes. Atlantis goes. The The woman there is Ona Grauer uh, and she, uh, you may have recognized her, she actually plays the ancient in the episode Frozen from SG-1. Okay. So what you see there yep. is, uh, you know, she saying goodbye to her, the guy yep. and they leave, but she stays behind, and then she's the one that ends up dying there, and blah, blah, blah. Yes. And, interestingly, accor- according to the commentary, uh, the man in that shot is Ona Grauer's husband. Oh. Well, that's fun. That's kind of fun. Um, okay. So, uh, Stargate Atlantis was originally conceived to be set on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea was SG-1 would end its run, and... Uh, you know, Lost City would kind of kick that off and jumpstart Atlantis, but then SG-1 would be finished, and so they'd find Atlantis, and they'd tell new stories on Atlantis on Earth. Yeah. But when they decided to continue SG-1 for an eighth and eventually ninth and tenth season, they needed to move Atlantis off Earth, Mm -hmm. and so they rejiggered some things, and they put Atlantis on a planet in a different galaxy. Yes. So... Because uh, that way, uh, they could both run simultaneously, and they wouldn't interfere with one another. They mm-hmm. could have their own tell, tell their own stories. Uh, according to the various patches, you'll notice that that the the various people in the Atlantis expedition have a patch of their country, yes, on their sleeve. Um, and so, based on that, we have representatives in the Atlantis expedition from Australia, Belgium, Canada, Germany, Greece, Japan, New Zealand, Philippines. Russia, Scotland, Serbia, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, the United Kingdom, United States, and Zimbabwe. Awesome. And I'm sitting here, like, chuckling because it probably should just be England if it's not, you know, maybe the people from the, maybe from the people from England are like, no, no, it's the United Kingdom. We've got St. Andrew's Cross right here inside the flag. And the people from Scotland are like, yeah, 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 about that. <laughs> well, I will leave that up yes. to our friends across the pond. You guys can fight over that. Um, so the character of Rodney McKay was originally uh, Dr. Benjamin Ingram, who was supposed to be an African-Canadian scientist mm-hmm. until eventually the production crew decided to bring uh, David Hewlett back as McKay mm-hmm. Uh it's for this role, um, and I think that that uh, at one point in time, uh, Martin Wood, the director, was reading through the script and says, "You know, this would be a great 
place for McKay. This would be a great role for him and all of that stuff. And he says that to uh, Brad Wright and Robert Cooper. And they're like, yeah, we'll think about that. And mm-hmm. then they did it. Yeah. So. There you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, so Sean Amsing, who plays one of the Athosians, previously played Toby uh, in the SG-1 episode Children of the Gods and Full Circle. He is one of only three actors, along with Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks, to appear in the pilot for both SG-1 and Atlantis. <laughs> um, hang on. One of three actors to appear in the pilot for... Oh, I see. I see. I see. So this actor was in the pilot for SG-1. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Right. So he played he played one of the Abidosians. Yep. I'm pretty sure. Gotcha. Nice. I guess I'm not 100% certain, but I'm pretty sure. And he plays an Athosian in this. I mean, he's just kind of in the background. Yep. But anyway. He's doing his thing. Um, but he was there. This episode, uh, in other languages, in the mm-hmm. French, they call this a new era. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Portuguese call it Ascension. Mm-hmm. The Germans call it departure to a new world. Yeah. Yep. Awakening is what the Russians call it. Mm-hmm. The Czech call it emerging. And mm-hmm. the Hungarians call it rising. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. That's what I have for trivia. And it is now time for the synopsis. Uh-huh. Yes. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's get into it. Billions of years ago. <clears throat> uh <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, cough drops? I, I, I mean, I mean, several million years ago, <laughs> the ancients leave Earth in their big honking space water city ship Atlantis thing. Yeah, it was pretty big. Leaving behind one of their own for the sole purpose of allowing our heroes to find her frozen corpse in the ice only to give us an illness that will kill us all unless she, who is no longer a corpse, can miraculously heal us. Uh, sorry, that, that's a different episode. It was in a different television show. Yeah. Sorry. Back to this one. In Antarctica, millions of years later, in fact, in the year 2004 of the Common Era, uh-huh. <laughs> a group of researchers and scientists from across the globe are working in the Antarctic outpost. They are examining ancient technology, including an ancient drone weapon. Dr. Rodney McKay is trying to convince Dr. Carson Beckett to sit in the control chair to, you know, control the outpost. But Beckett is beyond terrified of doing so. He doesn't want to break anything. We learn that there is a particular genetic marker in some humans affectionately called the Ancient Technology Activation Gene, or ATA gene for short, Mm -hmm. that allows them to activate ancient technology and control it. Dr. Beckett is actually the one to have discovered this ancient technology activation gene. And while Rodney McKay dreams of having the ATA gene, Beckett wishes he did not have it. Dr. Elizabeth Weir, you can't really have too many doctors in a show like this, really. Nope. Doctor, leads doctor, this expedition doctor. and reiterates to Rodney that we need as many people we as we have to sit in that chair because every time that happens, we learn something new. As they are discussing the chair, Dr. Daniel Jackson, yes, seriously, we need more doctors. More doctors. More doctors, interrupts and asks them to come with him. 
he has news about the address for where the ancients went to after they left Earth. Their information had been incomplete. It's not a seven-symbol address. It's, in fact, an eight-symbol address. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Atlantis is in another galaxy. And while it's really, really, really far away, we can still get there. At the same time, Brigadier General Jack O'Neill and Major John Shepard, nope, neither one of them are doctors, just just, just a checking, just so yep. you know, are flying in a chopper toward the base, discussing their opinions on the Antarctic continent. Hey, look at that. Oh, I already read that. Never mind. That's a whole line about the whole doctors thing, and I put that in earlier, and I should have... I'm not doing so good. (laughs) This is what happens when you improv. Improving, you know, it works out great most of the... Well, no, I guess if you know what you're doing. Never mind. Uh, Carry on. Back in the base, McKay finally convinces Beckett to sit in the control chair. Unfortunately, Beckett accidentally initiates one of the drones and launches it. It smashes through the base of it before rocketing up through the elevator shaft and into the Antarctic sky. The drone starts chasing the helicopter with the Major and the General inside. Shepard's expert flying saves the day, and Beckett manages to deactivate the drone just before it lands in Jack's lap. Yes. Sidebar here, when they were filming that, they had Martin Wood off camera tossing that towards Richard Dean Anderson. Yeah. And and they, they took like 12 or 13 throws before they got it to land and slide and stop just right there where yep. it was. Yeah. Which, which was actually delightful. Yes. All right. Uh... Shepard and and O'Neill arrive at the base. O'Neill leaves Shepard with orders not to touch anything while he goes to talk with Jackson, Weir, and McKay. Three doctors and a brigadier general talk about Atlantis and going there. (laughs) That sounds like the opener for a joke. (laughs) Oh, good. That's kind of what I was intending for. I mean, I don't have a joke, but I was kind of hoping to allude to that. To allude to three doctors and a general. Yes. No, no, it's it's a brigadier general. I'm sorry, my mistake. Yes. Don't get, don't get that wrong, right? Because you have That's... major generals and, and other generals and brigadier generals. Oh, yeah, generals. totally. Right. It's like a jurist doctor then. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to get to Atlantis, they need to use the ZPM. And it is a ZPM, not a ZPM. No, we're not Canadian. Sorry. No. Canadian. Anyway, a ZPM stands for Zero Point Module. Unfortunately, the ZPM that we have is almost completely depleted, and if we go to Atlantis, it'll almost certainly be a one-way trip. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Shepard is looking around the base. He sees Beckett at the control chair and decides to sit down. I mean, what are the odds that this random major happens to have the ATA gene? Oh, look at that! Shepard not only has the ATA gene, but he is a natural at controlling the ancient technology. Uh Uh-huh. Wow! Everyone is stunned. And Weir wants Major Shepard on her Atlantis team. We need him. Now, now that the team is prepped to go to wherever the ancients went to, it's time for the montage of all the main people saying goodbye to all their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that Weir's significant other looks like a Tolan who was in love with a certain major doctor, astrophysicist, sharpshooter, he's not the same character. No. <laughs> Completely different. Totally different character. Totally different. Not the same. 
At the SGC, Weir's team is preparing to leave through the gate. Assuming that they can actually get a successful lock to wherever it is that they're trying to go, they will have to rush through the gate in one shot. Everybody in once. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Chevron 1 encoded. Chevron 2 encoded. Everything begins to shake. Chevron 3 encoded. You know blah, was, blah, 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 blah. I was blah, thinking blah. of the exact same. I know I'm interrupting you, but like like the whole like, like, like we're going, we're using this gate for the first time for this other purpose um felt so much more dramatic in the pilot of of stargate sg1 because the room was shaking (laughs) and in this one it was just like we get to eight locked and i'm like oh already (laughs) yep uh no daniel you have to stay here you can't go no no just get my pack you have to stay here. You don't get to go to Atlantis with Weir and her team. Nope. Stay, sit down, sit. You're part of this. You're not part of this TV show. Get that out of your head. You're part of my TV show, not that. You can't go. <laughs> All right. The probe is sent through the gate, and there is a viable atmosphere on the other side. Woohoo! Time to go. Into the gate room, Colonel. In the gate room, Colonel Marshall Sumner, the military leader of the expedition, tells the military troops under his command to get ready and let's get going. But Weir stops him and says, "Hold up, we have to go in together because you know it's it's that type of thing." The expedition begins. The um, the expedition. Lieutenant Aiden Ford and Shepard get ready to go through the gate. This is Shepard's first time through the gate, and he's a little bit nervous. But Lieutenant Ford jumps through the gate with a woohoo! Yep. On the other side of the wormhole, the team enters a large room. It's Atlantis. It's an ancient city. It's super cool. It's underwater. Oh, my goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. Once everybody's through the gate, O'Neill rolls through the gate a very nice bottle of champagne, Bon Voyage, from General Jack O'Neill. The team begins checking out the various sections of the city. They find spaceships, a control room, a holograph room that explains all about the new big bad of the series, more on that later, a conference room, and much, much more. What they don't find, however, is any evidence of the ancients actually living there. They seem to have all left. Hmm. It doesn't take long before McKay realizes that the power in the city is failing. You see, the city is powered by three zero-point modules. Two are already dead, and the third is just about to die. And the city is using what little power it has left to keep the force field up that is protecting the city from being flooded by the waters. Oh my goodness, this mm-hmm. is not good news. The only, way, the only way to save Atlantis is to abandon the city. Hopefully they can go out there and find another ZPM on some other planet and return before the city is destroyed by the water pressure. Colonel Sumner puts together a team to search for a suitable planet. Dr. Weir asks that Major Shepard go with the team. And now is as good a time as any to tell you that, Dr. Uh, that, that, that Colonel Sumner doesn't trust Shepard very much because apparently Shepard doesn't always follow the chain of command. And, you know, Colonel Sumner just has to be this really gruff dude that nobody likes, mm-hmm. except for at the very end when we like, oh, well, maybe he's not so bad. And then he dies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Spoiler. Oh, no. Oh, I, so I have a question for you. Yes. No, I'll, I'll come back to that question. Never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> you better write it down. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, Rodney picks one of a handful of gate addresses that he can access in the Atlantis computer, and the team travels to 
Athos. Yes. It's nighttime there, and they first encounter a couple of boys playing in the woods. This startles our team, and there's nearly a bloodbath. But Holling, the father of one of the boys, rushes in. Again, this could easily have ended badly if our team had itchy fingers, but they don't. Holling asks if they came to trade, and they say, trade, yes, yes, of course. Uh, He says they need to talk to Taylor, and he escorts the team to the camp. When the team arrives there, Taylor introduces herself. Colonel Sumner is gruff and not very welcoming or friendly. Major Shepard is charming and personable and has an instant connection with Taylor. But Taylor won't trade with people they don't know. So Shepard introduces himself. There. We're already getting to know each other right away. The next morning, our team discovers an abandoned ancient settlement not far from the Athosian camp. That may do nicely for the small community from Earth. However, the Athosians don't much like that idea. They believe that entering the ancient settlement will invite the wraith here. Sumner and some of his team explore the settlement anyway. And who are these wraith we've been hearing so much about? Well, Taylor invites Shepard to see a cave that she's visited many times. And there she explains who the wraith are and what the big bads are all going to be about. While there, Shepard finds a necklace that Taylor lost years ago. So, the Wraith. Essentially, they are a race that managed to defeat the Ancients a long time ago, and every few hundred years, so like, they're all mostly in hibernation right now, and every few hundred years, they get out of their hibernation, and they attack all the humans in the galaxy for a great culling, and they, they, they use the humans as food. They steal them in their ships and take them away, and the last great culling was several generations ago. Uh, no one in the galaxy doesn't live in fear of the Wraith. They've never met anyone who doesn't know who the Wraith are, except for these humans from Earth, which is mm-hmm. unusual. Mm-hmm. Now, between the great cullings, the Wraith do come every once in a while with small numbers and take a few people so that, you know, those people who are watching over the hibernating ones can, you know, feed and eat because, you know, everybody needs to eat. Everyone does. Um, everybody needs to eat. Um, now, why these? what we'll find out later on uh, is that the Wraith are very hard to kill. They probably won't ever die of natural aging and they can regenerate very, very quickly and they use humans as a food source by sucking the life force out of them through their hand. So basically a bigger, badder, better ghouled. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and in fact, um, in the commentary, which was uh, Joe Flanagan and Martin Wood, Joe plays uh, Major Shepard, mm-hmm. uh, they were talking about the the Wraith and that the ghouled are supposed to be the bad guy, but they're not quite very scary. They're, they're, they're never really, like, frightening. Right. But the Wraith... Um, kind of have a frightening vibe. Oh, they sure do. Yeah. Uh, and apparently when they suck the life force out of you, it's quite painful. Shocker of all shocking. Yes. Um, however, there are apparently some in the galaxy like Taylor who can sense the wraith if they are near. Kind of an interesting little trick. Yes. Back on Atlantis, sections of the city are flooding as the force field in that section collapses. Oh no! They are shutting down as much things as they can so they can stretch out what little energy they have left. It's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when. Things are getting desperate, and as soon as Sumner's team radios back with a place that they can go, they have to leave quickly. 
Back on Athos, Lieutenant Ford is guarding the gate, when suddenly it opens and three dart-like ships fly through. They look dangerous. These are the Wraith, and they have come for some food. Yeah, time, everybody's got to eat. Oh, no. Or have they been summoned to Athos by the team that visited the ancient settlement? Hmm. <gasps> The darts attack the city, beaming up several victims. Sergeant Bates does manage to knock one of them out of the sky, but the other two escape, and among those captured by the Wraith are Taylor, Holling, Colonel Sumner, and Sergeant Bates himself, mm -hmm. and several others. As the darts escape through the gate, Shepard orders Ford to burn those gate symbols into his brain. Okay. Back on Atlantis, failure of the shield is imminent. They need to leave immediately. Weir doesn't want to abandon this ancient city, but recognizes the need to do so. But before they can dial out, Shepard dials in. The beaten team comes back to Atlantis, along with the surviving members of the Athosian settlement. This isn't a good time to bring refugees to Atlantis. But, eek. Weir and Shepard start to argue, but there's no time to complete that argue. They'll just have to pause button and come back to that later. They need to address another problem. The ship, the, 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 the water's coming in. They need a new address. And they get one. They start dialing. Boom, 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 boom. But before they get that finished, something happens. Mm -hmm. The whole city begins to rise. It's rising. Rise. It's rising. Rise. <laughs> <Dive>. <laughs> <sighs> moving up toward the surface of the water. And before you know it, the great city is floating above the water. Mm -hmm. Well, on top of the water, the mm -hmm. surface of water. Uh, like, like they're not under the water, they're on top of the water. All right, the shield has collapsed, but the city is safe. <sighs> we are wanted just a little bit more time, and now they have a lot more time. Mm -hmm. As Lieutenant Ford begins... Uh, organizing and managing the supplies, getting them to where they need to go, because they all had to move them back into the the main room to leave, but they're not leaving anymore. Mm -hmm. McKay updates Weir and Shepard on what's going on. Their last ZPM has been depleted, but they can now use their own NACWDA generators to provide enough power for basic stuff. But they no longer have the... I mean, they don't have to hold back the ocean anymore, and um, yeah... However, the ZPM or the, the ZPMs, the Naquita generators, uh, don't have enough power in them to hold the shield up, which means that if the Wraith come, they will be sitting ducks on the surface of the planet. Mm -hmm. This could be a problem. Now, Shepard is focused on finding out where the Wraith took Colonel Sumner and the rest of the people. And McKay and Shepard banter back and forth about numbers and permutations of gate addresses, blah, 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 blah. Shepard apparently is far smarter than McKay gave him credit for. Mm -hmm. Now, before that can continue any further, Weir wants a word with Shepard. You know, that argument that they started before, they have to continue it now. They step outside and they have a very heated discussion. Weir needs Shepard to think things through better. Don't just make impulsive decisions. The Wraith defeated the Ancients for crying out loud. She is not going to send any more people to die. Shepard needs Weir to recognize that the right thing to do isn't always the prudent thing to do. We don't leave our people behind. Okay, if you can prove that you have at least a chance of succeeding, then you can go on your rescue mission. Mm -hmm. On the Wraith ship, 
Taylor regains consciousness. Sumner and the others are there. He asks her if she can provide any intelligence on what to expect. But she has no idea. They are discussing their predicament when a wraith comes in. Sumner attempts negotiation, but the wraith ignores him. He then selects an Athosian, a man by the name of Torin, disregarding both Taylor's and Sumner's offer to take them in his place. On Atlantis, they have managed to lock onto a gate address for the wraith location, but soon discover that the gate is in high orbit around a planet. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Nope. Walking through that Stargate would not be a good thing. Nope. Not without a spacesuit uh, on and, you, and you, a way to you, navigate. You, and you, you, you need you need air and 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 atmosphere yeah. and things like that. And 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 you don't get that in space. And it kind of kind of does bring up the, you know, how does the DHD work? You know, uh, it's it's the DHD system is way more advanced in the Pegasus galley, the galaxy than it is in uh, the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, you know, th- this is clearly at least 2.0 of uh, gate technology. Of gate technology, yep, at least. Yep. Uh, it might be like 7.0. <laughs> 7 million point oh. <laughs> 7. 7. 0. Okay. I, don't know, I got nothing. Anyway, uh, McKay has an idea, and he escorts Shepard into the hangar bay. They have spaceships. And Shepard's ATA gene activates the ship and grants him the ability to pilot the ship. It also has a cloaking device. And that sounds like the tactical advantage they need to mount a rescue mission. Mm -hmm. Weir authorizes the rescue mission. Ford wants to name the shuttle Gate Ship One. You know, it's a ship that goes through the gate. It's a gate ship. But Shepard hates that idea. Opting instead for Puddle Jumper. <laughs> P- Puddle jump. I thought we said gate ship one. Uh, no, it's a ship that goes through the gates. It's uh, never mind. They fly through the gate and find themselves in orbit of a planet. Shepard cloaks the ship and finds a very nice place to land. The puddle jumper seems to read his mind as he's flying it. It gives him a tactical display of the planet and even opens a cabinet with a device that will help him track his people once inside the wraith ship. But it won't provide a very nice turkey sandwich. No. <laughs> he should have thought about roast beef. If it had been roast beef, he could have had it. <laughs> it totally would have been taken care of. Anyway, on the surface, Shepard orders his team to lay down defenses, but not to engage the enemy. He takes Ford with him to enter the Wraith facility. In the Wraith ship, they come back to the cell, and this time they take Colonel Sumner. He is stoic, but also scared. And though his stoicism hides the fear on his face, the fear is still there. Which, by the way, is really awesome acting from Robert Patrick. Because you got this, I'm kind of scared, but I want to like not look scared. Yep. But you can tell that I'm scared. Yep. Uh, that I, I, I'm like, go team. You, you did a good job there. Yeah, that was good. All right. He is taken into a dining room. There is a table with some food on it. Torin's desiccated body lies stiff in one of the chairs. A female wraith approaches. She seems to be the one in charge. She invites him to eat and notes that he controls his fear well. She has not met humans with such strength. She interrogates him, forcing him to reveal Earth's existence and that there are billions. Mm -hmm. Yes, I said that. 
billions of yes. humans there, a veritable smorgasbord for the wraith. Mmm, <laughs> tasty. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, yes. Ford and Shepard make their way through the wraith ship and find the prisoners. Ford prepares to break them out while Shepard continues to search for the colonel. As Shepard gets closer, he sees the Wraith Queen slam her palm into Colonel Colonel's chest. He screams and rises. She feeds. He ages rapidly as his life force is stolen bit by bit. Yep. Shepard begins shooting the Wraith one by one. The Queen continues to feed on Sumner. Sumner looks at the Major. Shepard knows what's to do. He aims and fires a bullet through the hand of the Queen and into the heart of the Colonel, killing him. Yeah. She screams. Rah! This makes the Wraith very, very upset, understandably. Shepard then gets stunned and brought to the Queen. Oh no, is the same thing going to happen to Shepard that happened to Sumner? No, because Ford is there to save the day. Hooray! And the queen, they're saying bullets fire, wraith stunners go off, the queen is stabbed, and the team escapes. However, the queen reveals that upon her death, the rest of the wraith will wake up. All of them. Oh, no. Well, poop. That's not good. That's, that's very bad. That's extremely bad. Very, very bad. The team manages to get to the jumper and take off, but the wraith are on hot pursuit. Darts guard the gate. Shepard has only one option. Reveal himself and lead the darts away from the gate so that he can circle back and attempt to escape through the gate. Fortunately, the plan is successful, though it is not an easy solution. The jumper comes to a very quick stop in the gate room. Fortunately, they have inertial dampeners because otherwise everybody would be very big splats of goo on the windshield. Extremely splatted, yes. And... The iris goes up. The iris, the 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 the, the shield, the, the shield. electronic, the energy shield iris. Not a physical iris because we're updated. We're new. It's raised, and before the darts that followed can get through, and we hear familiar thuds against the iris. Thunk, thunk, thunk. The gate shuts down, and the immediate threat is over. That night, all of the new inhabitants of Atlantis have a celebration of their new home. Weir opens the bottle of champagne for tribute. And Taylor remarks that they have also made a new ally. And with her help, and with the help of the Athosians, they will make many more allies. Weir asks Shepard to put together his team so they can get back to doing what they came here to do, i.e. explore a new galaxy. The camera pans away to reveal Atlantis, the lost city of the ancients, in all its glory as it rests on the surface of the ocean. The end. The end. And so, my dear friend Brent. Yes. Rising, episode one and two, the pilot of Stargate Atlantis. What did you think? I liked it. I thought that we have um, we have a fun setting here. We've got technology that we barely understand. We got a lot of it. Uh, we've got. Uh, We've got an ensemble cast that seems to be uh, uh, finding finding a way to, to 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 make something good happen because, in part, we got some we got some familiar faces. Uh, McKay has done, you know, uh, Hewlett looks to have done a com- not like a complete reset on the character, but he definitely took advantage of the fact that it's been a while since we've seen McKay. He has muted that character quite a bit, quite a mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. from the SG one days for sure. Um. 
I wonder if that's ever going to come up as to, you know, as to why that might be. So we'll see. Um, we've got, uh, we've got a, you know, we can't have a show without having a bit of a renegade, um, military person, can we? So, you know, it was O'Neill at first and now we've got uh, Shepard, but it's still, you know, while O'Neill, I don't think could ever be accused of not following the chain of command. He definitely was a bit, uh, he was a bit flippant. Um, and, uh, we have kind of that same energy here with Shepard. Um, and, one of the things that was a little bit of a criticism was that it was re it, it, it's tough for me to figure out who the main cast is right now. Um, you reading through the characters at the start was like, okay, this is going to be a main person. This is going to be a main person. This apparently is not going to be a main person. You know what I mean? So like, well, you know, for what it's worth, um, when Martin Wood was shooting this episode, um, that was something of, an intentional thing. He wanted to try to obscure who were the main characters uh, and who weren't. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you picked up on that uh, is, I guess, good. Sort but of. I, you can argue whether or not that was a good decision, yeah, but it was I an intentional decision. Yeah. The reason why I disagree is that, um, you know, good stories build, build and release tension and it gets tough to figure out who I should really be caring about when there's too many faces on the screen. Yeah. Um, you know, should I be caring about everyone equally? Well, yeah, if this were real life, this isn't, this is a story. And so, um, you know, which characters are the ones that I need to be paying attention to and understanding their dynamics, which characters can I just kind of let, let go and not necessarily, uh, absorb a whole lot of information. Um, sounds like just about everybody that I can remember right now is going to be something of a contributing character to some degree or another. So I guess I got to pay attention to all of them. Um, you know, the, the I suppose the the need to send, you know, 60 people over somewhere is what's going to recreate the equivalent of the SGC. Uh, you know, if we only sent a team of four through there, this show would be pretty, pretty boring <laughs> or awesome. I mean, it might be really awesome, but it would uh, be a very different dynamic if you extremely. had four versus 60. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I remember that in SG one, there was that there was there was Weir was talking a bit about like you know uh, the necessity to be open with international partners now that so much stuff has happened, and um, I'm glad that line was said because boy, apparently that has happened. Right, we've got how yeah. many nations represented? A dozen or more? Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah, and so I guess I guess that occurred. Uh, so that's 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 a thing. There's an awful lot about this episode, which is definitely setting up a story, right? So the 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 action of this episode in particular, while um, interesting and threatening, we are establishing a new enemy, a uh, new bad guy in the universe, and the Wraith are terrifying. That's great. I'm super yes. excited about that. Um, it was a little unclear to me that the Wraith were the ones who defeated the Ancients until it was said on screen. Um, so when it was said, I was like, wait, what? I thought that they were referring to the Gould, and it wasn't. Um, but wait a minute. They were in the Milky Way and getting defeated by a terrible enemy. So they left. No, no, no. So we don't know why they left the Milky Way galaxy. We never okay. find that out. Um, presumably it had something to do with the disease, but we don't know. But they go to the Pegasus galaxy and in the Pegasus galaxy, they begin to seed the Pegasus galaxy like they did 
with the Milky Way galaxy, right? Yeah. So they build gates all over the place and they, they you know, populate it with humans and all of that stuff. And then they run into the, the species in the Pegasus galaxy, the Wraith, that they hadn't met before. And the Wraith just keep coming and coming and are relentless. And it's in the Pegasus galaxy that they begin to lose... Um, uh, they, they begin to lose uh, space, the territory and such, until yeah. only Atlantis is left. And they could defend themselves till the cows come home, but they couldn't make any purchase on it. And so they made the decision to sink the, the, the city and retreat back to Earth. Yeah. Um, and they retreat back to Earth and then uh, re... That that's you know where we get our various stories of Atlantis and blah blah blah. Gotcha. Um, so the the great enemy that they were talking about in this whole episode is always the Wraith. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and it's a good enemy. Um, it is the visiting another planet and having. So one thing I did notice is that, and I gotta remember her name because she's a main character, and I can't remember her name right now. Um. It so so uh Shepherd and what's her face were, were running through the forest and they were trying to escape the wraith and Shepherd was shooting into the woods and then what's her face appears. Taylor. Taylor appears. And I don't know if I was supposed to notice that she was like a misty creature just a second before she appeared, or at least it sure looked like it. Or so, was she stepping through a a, a, a visualization as in like did Shepard think he saw a misty thing and she stepped through it that's what happened right god dang it so so you know they they were depicting on screen kind of these misty wraith like you know breezes type of thing uh, to show the the wraith's ability to uh mess with your brain and what you think yeah and and she has apparently some capacity to um counter that or or, or re- resist that and she steps through one of those uh breaking through that into uh shepherd's visualization and you know snapping him out of it so yep. so to speak so that's yep. what's going on there gotcha okay that's a little less cool than what i was thinking was happening i'm so sorry like, maybe she could turn into a misty person too that'd be pretty sweet oh yeah that'd be pretty cool need to escape just go through the air ducts oh well then why why didn't she do that when they were captured on the ship yep never mind um so uh yeah so there was a yeah obviously there's an awful lot of information in this one of course we're setting up a new story within the stargate universe so there's an awful lot that is similar uh i'm glad that uh, Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks involvement was real like heavy in the first what half hour if that Something 20 like minutes that. yeah yeah and then done the end like now now it's this new team they're someplace else they they have their own challenge they have their own things uh parts of their plan I mean I guess it was I don't know it, it seemed it, it, it makes a degree of sense why they would be so reluctant to abandon the city that they have been searching for for so long. But on the other, 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 other hand, if literally what you got to do is you got to find a hard to find battery, then you need to go like like and I respect that they were hoping for good fortune or at least moderate fortune in ways that didn't seem to go their way. Um, they didn't 
understand or appreciate just how much energy they were depleting. Uh, there was a little bit of deus ex machina in that how even though the line that McKay said to try to make it seem a little less bonk bonk on the nose that boy, the team sure seemed to arrive at precisely the right time. It was a little like Torment of Tantalus where the, the castle's literally crashing into the sea right then <laughs> as they arrived. Um, you know, isn't that convenient? Uh, you know, the, the, the city's running out of energy right then as they arrive. And he says, well, you know, if we hadn't been here, it'd last for another several years. And then I'm thinking it's been several million or something. I mean, it's been a long time. So, you know, well, a few years is a is is basically exactly on time as far as that's concerned. Sure. I wonder if any of these criticisms will be addressed. Oh, I wonder. Ooh. That's convenient. Interesting. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Um yeah, so I had a good time. I definitely think that the enemies are worth, you know, uh worrying about. They the the, the Wraith have set themselves up to be a pretty imp- pretty interesting and important enemy i'm curious if the queen stays dead that seems a little bit convenient that you can get stabbed by your own weapon and that kills you um although i suppose i wonder you know yeah okay how well how else would a ruthless society exact judgment um do they reproduce and if so that's a bit of a problem um maybe that's why they all went into like stasis pods but now everybody's awake so don't they now also have a resource problem and is that going to be a thing if they've been culling this particular universe for generations are they quickly going to run out of it did they, did they create a scorched universe problem for themselves just a second ago that's a good question so there's there's some things that are that are popping in my mind and some of these things might be um inconsistencies if they're not addressed or awesome stories if they totally are addressed so looking forward to that and uh, yeah, this one felt like a space show, whereas SG one is a show about space set on Earth. This one feels like we're out in we're out in Futuresville. Like, you know, we we there's technology that we don't understand and we're in the middle of it. And, um, you know, we're we're adrift and we got to we got to find a way to call home uh, or at least stay alive or at least keep the city going. And so now the reality that they're on the on the surface of the the ocean and their only security is is obscurity. Uh, you know that's that's interesting too. Um, yeah. How's that going to work out? So I'm excited. I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm excited to see um, you know the next steps of the story. Uh, I think they did a good job setting this one up. And so uh, you know no no complaints at all. So what about you? What do you think about this one? Uh, so I want to begin by asking the question that I put a oh, pin yeah. in earlier. So when did you realize that Colonel Sumner was going to die? Tail end. So you didn't realize it until he actually died. I was hoping he would die. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting here like, oh, man, he's in this. Okay, All right. I guess he's the star power. A little like Richard Dean Anderson is. Okay, boy, he's gruff. Do I got to put up with this? Is this what they're going to do? Are they going to make this thing about like, you know, the gruff military man? And then you're going to have that friction. Boy, that's overdone. Oh, he's warming up a little bit. Okay, that's all right. Oh, oh, he's getting his life force sucked out. Is he going to, how is he going to, how's he going to youthen? How's he going to get to, oh, he's just going to, okay, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) So I was not excited about that character at all. Um, And I thought I was going to have to deal with it. (laughs) And then I didn't. (laughs) So, so that's, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I don't remember what I originally thought about that character other than, I mean, you know, I didn't like him. He was kind of this gruff, you know, stereotypical military dude uh, 
that that uh, was designed to be a foil for somebody else, which yes. is kind of cheap. Um, uh, I, I thought that that they actually did a good job. That that moment uh, when he is in the wraith ship, you know, that was good. I really liked that stuff. Um, but I also thought that like from the very beginning, like as I watch this again and again, um, I see tells like. You look at his military uniform, and it's it's a colonel, yeah. But it's a really generic uniform when you compare that to what uh, Ford and uh, Shepard, especially, <laughs> are wearing. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They're wearing Atlantis gear, and he's wearing camo. Yeah. Um, and I suppose you know he's 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 uh, a marine, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. I don't. But there are these things that just kind of. Uh, you know, just like Stargate has shown in SG One that they they don't they don't suffer uh, those stereotypical gruff um, military people um, for very long, right? And then then they tend to either become evil or or they die. Yep. Um, and here was another example therein. Yeah. So, you know, I had not noticed that he was listed as a guest actor. And so that was part of also what I was kind of alluding to when it was a little tough for me to figure out who was the main cast. Uh, um, I just didn't I, I just didn't know I hadn't I, you know, like so unlike people who were watching it at the time who were excited about the show, I'm sure they knew exactly who the main characters were. And so whenever that face appeared on screen, they were like, ah, okay. And here's so-and-so and here's so-and-so and here's so-and-so. Whereas I didn't have any frame of reference. I didn't know who these characters, I didn't know who these actors were. And um, so I'm just like, okay, here we go. Do, 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 yeah. do, do, and a person and a person and a person. And oh, hey, it's him. It's T-1000. And yeah, he's grumpy. Uh, you know, and so I was like, Oh, are they going to do this? Are they going to make this show about, you know, like, you know, yeah, we're, we're off in another place and we've got the, you know, we've got the, um, the geopolitical expert and the, the gruff military mind. I've seen that it's called Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I was thinking that that was the direction that was, and then I didn't. And so, <laughs> so, and so when did I realize he was going to die? It was literally like, he's like, he's like, you know, uh, Last Crusade is happening to him. He drank from the wrong chalice. And I'm like, yeah, he's not. He's not coming back from this one. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, okay. All right. Well, then, good job. Good on you. Way to way to get the way to get the the ball rolling and then set Shepard up to be the senior military person on this expedition. <laughs> Which uh, is a little bit cheesy. That's a little cheesy, but you know, I, here we are. I find it really interesting and I, I mean, maybe maybe it's my lack of understanding of how military units work and such. But I find it fascinating that they had a colonel and then the next most ranking military officer is a major, which is two ranks lower. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and then you've got a lieutenant. I don't know if there's any captains. Um, and then a bunch of enlisted men. Yeah. So I just... I, that strikes me as a little unrealistic, um, but that could just be my lack of understanding of things. Well, now you are going to know this way more than me. So you've seen all of Atlantis, right? 
I have not seen the fifth season of okay. Atlantis. Okay, all right. But uh, you've seen a lot of it. Yes. And you don't have to answer this question, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I suspect that whereas Stargate SG-1 has a ma- has a significant aspect of its identity being a part of a military thing, I suspect that Stargate Atlantis is going to have a major portion of it not being a thing. So we've got a um, you know international relations expert at the helm of the thing. We've got. Um, brilliant scientists at major positions through the thing. We have some military members peppered in through the thing. But as you were going through the listing of things, there was only like maybe two or three or four names that had a military rank. Everybody else was doctor, 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 doctor. Right. Yeah. Like, so this strikes me as that. Sure. Yeah. We have to make it tie into the Stargate SG one universe somehow. And, we can't have it be a completely civilian thing. That seems a little bit too far fetched, but we're going to be in a situation where it seems that the chain, which asterisk, I got to tell you, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how believable I find Richard Dean Anderson as a brigadier general. He's, he's just a little too loosey goosey. Like, well, we will have to wait until we see more of him I in know, SG-1. But it doesn't strike me as completely out of the realm of conception that uh, Lucy Goosey Brigadier General O'Neill might send a military contingent, which was a bit understaffed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so without, uh, no, I won't say anything. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Right, we're we're once we're firmly once again in spoiler territory, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um, there there are still plenty of things that can be spoiled about SG One, um, but most of the major arcs and expect you know just kind of the 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 framework of of SG One has already been established, and it's. There's very little of that that can be spoiled moving forward. Sure. And um, but that's not true about Atlantis now. The odds are good that um, we might... The odds are good, and I don't know if whether this is going to happen or not. And, of course, people's opinions are going to differ. But the odds are good that we very well may be seeing SG-1 turning into the ignored story. Like, it... it, it and I'm not saying, like, absolutely ignored. I'm just acknowledging it could fizzle. Because that's what typically happens with TV shows is that they fizzle. So, you know, I know, I already know the meta that there's a seasons eight, nine, and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and not every television show has to fizzle necessarily, but even the strong ones that I'm thinking about kind of like, you know, they ended really strongly, but they certainly were kind of running out of gas towards the end. They were experimenting with different ideas that didn't seem to work very well. I'm thinking of like Star Trek uh, Next Generation in particularly, like, like its strongest seasons were in the middle and it ended very well. It ended beautifully. But I remember that there were stories that I, I that I'd be finding out about re- remembering now. I'll be watching something and they'll talk about a season seven or whatever story. And I'm like, oh, right. That did happen. Like I had forgotten <laughs> yeah, all about that. Yeah. Like, you know, like there was DS9 that was that was that was really starting to to take root. Um, 
I, you know, obviously Voyager was on the minds of people, maybe not as a show explicitly, but they wanted to explore it. There was the movies that were on the minds of people. Um, you know, what are they going to do with that? Like, you know, Star Trek was a big roaring empire uh, at that point. And mm-hmm. so, like, what's going to happen here with SG-1? We'll see. We will see. We'll have to wait and see. That's just the way it is. That's the nature of it. Um, yeah. So, let's get back to Atlantis. Yes. Um, I don't think you told me your thoughts yet. So, I, like, I, I've always enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. But, you know, prior to this, I'm like, you know, okay, so it's 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 a good episode to begin. Um, but it's just like, yeah, whatever. Okay. But... Last night, as I was sitting there watching it, I was really engaged mm-hmm. in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, just excited to see things, and I was watching the visuals, and, and just the story was developing, and I, it, it felt like it made sense to me, mm-hmm. um, even by its own self, and then also as it fits in with everything else, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. Um I remember when they finally exit the SGC and enter into Atlantis and they roll the uh, the the champagne through and the gate closes and we never see SGC again mm-hmm. after that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember feeling that, that uh, oh, right, I totally have to shift gears. We're not... SG-1. We're not on Earth anymore. We're something mm-hmm. different. We're not... Well, this isn't their story. It's these people's story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just... just I felt that, that shift in my body uh, and in my, my thoughts as, as that happened. Um, I noticed that. And at one point in time, I'm like, but I want to know what happens with O'Neill and, and, and De- Jackson after all... They have to say goodbye to all these people. And I'm like, wait, that's not the right story. I got to right. shift my gears, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I like how Taylor was introduced. Um, she is a strong character mm-hmm. uh, in it. Uh, and she she names that right off the beginning, right? She's like, Colonel Sumner looks like he's looking straight through me. Like, he doesn't even see me. Like, I'm not even here. But you, you pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked that line. I liked that little bit. It, it uh, you know, she is aware of what's going on, um, and and she's got that rapport with with Shepard from the very beginning, which is I, I really like. I think it's it's strong. Um, the introduction of the wraith. There are times where it feels a little bit like, okay, let me exposit all of this because we need to get this exposited. Um, but it's not done too well, and they did it in a different way, right? Uh, especially SG One, like let's all sit around the conference table, and I'll tell you what's happening with the alien of the week. Mm-hmm. And here we go to a cave, and we see cave drawings. Yeah, and 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 then you see Taylor with this like super uh, advanced futuristic lighter. Yes, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, these are people who, this is something that I, I saw more today, well, this time, than I have in previous times, but Taylor's society is uh, less technologically advanced, not because they're less advanced, 
but because they have been living with the threat and the culling of the wraith so much mm-hmm. that they struggle to um like develop things like 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 the the capacity to make things the understanding of things is there uh well the the, the understanding of things are there but they don't have the the infrastructure yeah Right. Uh, and the the in- industry the to make power. it, uh, or the people power, uh, because they keep getting cold every few hundred years, um, you know. So uh, that's I, I actually like that, uh, uh, which be- makes it very different than what we saw, especially early on with uh, SG One, where everybody they go and visit is uh, a severely less technologically advanced society than themselves with a few exceptions and those few exceptions are way more advanced yeah uh so i appreciate that i i i'm picked up on that more now even than i had in the past which Mm -hmm. i really liked um i'm trying to think of any particular uh moral things um yeah. That need to be addressed in this. I was also kind of thinking to myself about how this story seems to be pretty uh, neutral in that regard. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be like that kind of sci-fi story that I really like where it asks a really difficult question. Um, the closest it gets is, like, at what point... The closest it gets is, uh, you know, if people are food to the wraith, then is that intrinsically evil? Right, and, like, and they're, you know, I mean, bottom line, um, it doesn't matter if it's intrinsically evil. If I am their food source and they will not hesitate to eat me, mm-hmm. then my own survival kicks in and I need to try to stop them from eating me. Yes. And then the then the humanity that we have kicks in and says, well, then at what point is it? But is it okay for the wraith to be eating people? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But is it okay? Well, that's a question that we may or may not answer in a future yes. episode. Uh, but it does open up the the option for that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We also get the question of how do you know when somebody wants to die? Um, you know, in this episode, uh, Shepard shoots someone, yeah. kills yeah. him. Yeah. Um, I mean, you get that look that says, do it, end this, uh, stop them. Um, and of course, Shepard actually mentions that later on, late in the episode with uh, Weir, like, I have to live with this. Yeah. I remember this. Um, but uh, um, what's the morality behind that? Yep. Um, those, are, those are questions that are part of the story, but aren't really addressed in the story. Um, you do have the question of, the civilian and military approaches to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the argument and the debate that Weir and uh, Shepard had outside was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you see these, they, they both have good arguments and and they're arguing about how to, you know, what actions do I take if this is true or if that's true? And uh, this shows what kind of leader that Elizabeth Weir is, because she's like, okay, I see your point. You are making a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, 
I'm also making a good point. I need you to recognize that too. And then they can come together after having recognized each other's perspectives and positions that they can move forward and find a way uh, to uh, work together. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's just a brilliant scene. Uh, and especially in today's environment, which is, yeah, I mean, you saw it in the 2004, but, but it's especially strong today, uh, that that is something that we as a society, at least in the United States, are not doing very well. Mm-hmm. We are not listening to somebody who is different than me very well and uh, acknowledging that they have a valid viewpoint and then receiving that from them against ourselves. Um, so I think that's just a great example, a uh, picture of things. So, yep. Um, I don't know. I had fun with it. Uh, I, I enjoyed it more this time than I remember enjoying it. Yeah. And, good. and, and that's not, and that's not to say I didn't enjoy it before. Right? I did, but I, I seem to, I remember enjoying this even more this time than before. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, it makes a degree of sense that we wouldn't necessarily have a ton to talk about, even though this was a double parter because it was, d- d- so much of this episode was getting things set up. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they uh that the 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 ancient gene thing that's intriguing to me. Uh you know, we'll see we'll see how that kind of pans out. Um it it's uh it's it's, it's a necessity of the story that you have a shepherd character who happens to like accidentally like have all the all the goods. Right. Um, you know, in order to have some, a little bit of hand wave, you got to have a little bit of the ability to hand wave some stuff. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to get your story told. And so, you know, it's convenient that he sat down and like powered the whole thing up and, and you know, had a visualization of the of the of the galaxy like pop up right in front of it. You know what I mean? Like that was there was some stuff that was kind of a little bit like, oh, OK, well, this is easy. But um, we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, I'm excited about this. As as you were talking there, I was it just reminded me that uh, Voyager has a lot of similarities to Atlantis, at least mm-hmm. in like the the pilot episode. How how the the series is conceived, where you have a group of our heroes who are in an area of space that is isolated from home. Yep. They're stuck there, yep. right? Um, and I have always thought, personally, uh, there are those who can disagree with me. You're welcome to do so. But Caretaker, the pilot episode of Voyager, I have found boring. Mm-hmm. They, they, the, the way they go through the process of getting to the stuck place is boring. Yeah. And then they get to the boring and they deal with things that aren't exciting. I mean, and the only redeeming quality of that episode is that now you are in a part of the galaxy where nobody else is and you have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Voyager is not my favorite Star Trek episode, Star Trek series. I know that some people really, really love it and that's awesome. And I will agree that there's a lot in Voyager that is really good storytelling and really good stuff. Um, but for me and my money, the, the pilot episode is dull yeah it it sets everything up and it does it fine but it doesn't do it in a way that makes me feel really excited and i compare that to this where um 
the, the first half of it, it was getting to Atlantis. And that's kind of an exciting thing. Um, and not much happens, right? The, the most exciting thing that happens is uh, saying goodbye to everybody um, as, as they line up to rush through the gate as quickly as they can. Uh, and then they set up who their bad guy is going to be uh, in an exciting way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the, the way of telling the story here um, does it in a way that, for me, really engages me, that brings me in to want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really appreciate that. I'm reminded of that time, this is a long time ago, where uh, where you and I and some others watched every pilot of every Star Trek that had been released to that point back in the mid-2000s, mid-like 20-aughts. Um, so we watched, I think the first, I think the, 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 the real pilot, the genuine pilot, and then the actual show start of um, the original series. Mm-hmm. We watched Encounter at Farpoint. We watched, I can't remember the pilot's name, for DS9. We watched the pilot for Voyager. I think we watched the pilot for Enterprise. Um, took us a long time. Yep. <laughs> we were watching a lot of pilots. And over and over and over again as we were watching it, I mean, at first it was kind of fun. All right, here we go. Oh, yeah, every pilot. Super cool. And then as we were getting towards the end of it, it was turning into a slog. Yeah. Um, you know, these stories that are, uh, you know, the, the cast that hasn't gelled yet, um, a story that hasn't really found its feet necessarily, uh, you know, and, and you know, Voyager kind of stood out as a particularly bad one. And as I was thinking about it, as you were talking it through right now, I think that part of the reason was that um, it as a show at the start was going to be like, you know, Here's more Star Trek, but in a different spot as opposed to a different story. And so when it set itself up, it had to do all of those things like here's a new ship. Here's a new captain. Here's a new crew. Here's the premise of what our television series is going to be about. Here you go. And yet it was set on a stage that looked an awful lot like other 24th Century Federation sets. Mm -hmm. Um it was, uh, you know, it was done in a structure and a and a composition that looked an awful lot like other 24th century Federation compositions. Sure, the story, once it was set up and in motion, was, I thought, pretty good. How does this particular group of the Federation deal with being isolated from the Federation as it's trying to get back to the Federation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in that regard, I think that to echo your sentiment, it was a weak pilot. This pilot felt pretty strong. And as I'm kind of thinking about comparing and contrasting them, I think part of the reason why I think this one felt a little strong is that they spent $5 million on it. They poured a bunch of cash into this thing so that, and I'm thinking about other television shows too. So Battlestar Galactica didn't really have a pilot. It had a mini series. And so uh, if that mini series didn't go anywhere, the, the network was only short however much money that cost to make the miniseries, but all of the money that they made for the for the miniseries was available, right? They had all the cash for four episodes, right? So, so they just did it. Um, uh, other shows that I really, really liked at the start, I liked Game of Thrones at the start. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like it at the end, but at the start, it was very rich in detail. Um, I'm watching Rings of Power. I'm liking it a lot, but again, the amount of money that they're able to spend to establish the world, they're also able to piggyback quite a bit on 
um, you know, previous visual representations of this world. But, you know, they also have a pile of cash to set this thing up. So what am I driving at? It's that I have to be told what this series is going to be about. Right. And Mm -hmm. and you got to hook me. And so in order to hook me, you got to dazzle me a little bit. And your story can be fine. I'm not thinking that this particular story was very deep or excellent on its own. By no means have we had the kinds of conversations about the story like we've had with other stories for sure. Right. But visually, wow, they did. Whoa, it's so cool. I want to explore this place because it's so it hooked me visually. Right. Uh, I trust that story will follow because I trust the franchise. But in the same way that I trust Star Trek, the franchise to tell good stories and to have some fun stuff, Voyager did not did not wow me. Right. Like there was there was money spent. It was there was splash in its own regard, but there was nothing so different and so interesting about it that made me want to consume it some more, right? This show, the gate's different, the technology's different, everything's different. Um, There was a spaceship city that's underwater that was on Antarctica, now it's underwater, now it's not anymore. There's an enemy that have mosquito ships and they have the ability to dial a gate while flying through the air. Um, Like, like, like the, the, the visuals on the enemies themselves are just, just captivating. Like, whoa, these guys are, these guys just look just like the embodiment of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, some of the smaller visualizations that were being used just to set the story up. So, you know, the the cave scene reminded me an awful lot about the caves in, on Abydos where we got to learn an awful lot or maybe not caves, whatever. Remember the ruins or whatever. Yeah, the movie. yeah. Um, you know, I was reminded of that quite a lot, but still there was more information being shown. The pictograms on the on the wall. I was I was I was really looking at them like like trying to see more information as they were just kind of talking about it, right? There was an awful lot in there. I want to see what happens next. But why? Well, because they splashed out. So that's kind of why I asked the question. <laughs> like, should I be expecting the same level of visual interest going forward? And I know that the answer to that is, no, they're not going to spend $5 million every episode. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, but this pilot, to your point, was a captivating pilot within a series that had already been established yet it's own it's its own show it's 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 bon voyage to its to its finest that's the, it, you know that bottle of champagne rolling on through was a metaphor in three different ways and one of them was off you go atlantis the show i hope yeah. you do good so i have one more thing that i i think might play into why i think this is a strong pilot yeah um, this is, I mean, so pilots need to do a couple of different things in general. They have to introduce various characters and they have to introduce, uh, a setting. Yeah. Um, and the, the struggle with pilots is being able to do both well. Yes. Um, and I contend that in many pilots, they focus on trying to introduce us to characters. Yeah. And this is a show that, like, you just talked about, right? You were having a hard time figuring out which of the characters they should root for. Yes. So in this story, what we got here is is, is the, the characters aren't individual people, but the team, right? We weren't yeah. being introduced specifically to Weir, although we, you know, we had a little bit from some of these characters, 
Um, but but mostly what we were being introduced to was the team. And so in this episode, what we got here is the setup of what is the team going to be dealing with. And when you broaden that out, so you don't have to be as so focused on introducing all of these different characters and just talk about the the setting more often, then I don't know, I'm, I'm wondering if that has a play in this. Yeah. That, that, that ability to focus the attention on what's my setting, because the setting is so radically different than what's come before. I mean, this is a spin-off franchise, which means everybody who's watching this, with very few exceptions, has already seen some, if not most, of SG-1. They're familiar with that. And now you have to take that and change the setting. And you have to do that in a way that that they'll they'll come with you. They'll follow you. Um, and I think they do that strongly. And, and by focusing less on specific characters, although we get some of that, uh, and on, set, on the, the, the setting, um, I wonder if that helps it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, as you're, yeah, I, and I'm also to riff off of what you're saying. I am wondering if uh, I'm wondering if you and I are of a type, and that there are other types of people out there where the setting is totally secondary, and they are about the characters. Hmm. And and as I'm kind of pondering on that, I'm think, I'm thinking to myself, like, is it a universal that people are looking at the concentric circles of setting, scene, character? You know, each one getting smaller. Um, and if your setting is weak, then it kind of doesn't matter what your scene's doing. And if that's and if and then therefore you don't really care about your character so much. Or or are there other people that are like, no, 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 character above all. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what your setting is. If your characters are unconvincing, then you're not going to. And maybe that's maybe there's a twofer in this one. I'm 100 percent willing to give a show a shot or two if the setting is conv- is is compelling. But if they don't do anything with it, if the characters don't become interesting, relatable, if I don't see de- interesting questions or explorations of those characters, if I don't see development, you know what I mean? Like, if mm, the story yeah. doesn't go anywhere, well, then I'm out. But but in the start, you know what? And as, and as I'm thinking about that, yeah, I, I'm thinking about books that I've read and the ones that I don't, I, I, I eventually get to like them. But I get really frustrated with speculative fiction books that just throw you into it. And there's kind of no other way to do it, really, without belaboring. And then if you write the only other way that you can write um, speculative fiction in a way that doesn't throw you into the middle of it is to write The Silmarillion. And I got to tell you, I'm rereading that for the first time in a long time. It's a boring book. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's cool, but it's an encyclopedia. Um, So, like, you don't you, you can't. You can't expound on the setting too much in stories without making it pointless. And yet that's what I want. That's that's usually the things where it's like, yeah, no, no, no. Tell me more about this place first and then we can get into it. Um, so I was just thinking also in, in the midst of this is that so we've got five title characters. Yeah. Weir, Shepard, Taylor, McKay and Ford. Yeah. Two of those characters we are already familiar with. Yes. We've already met Weir. Yes. And if you were following in from, from Stargate, uh, we've seen a lot of her recently. Yep. Different actors, 
Sure. Sure. But the same character, right? Yep. So we don't have to do a lot to introduce the. We can just they can just show up. Yep. And McKay, right? We don't actually in, we don't introduce ourselves to McKay at all. Not he's at all. He's just there. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I recognize him. Uh, he's oh he's he's not as much of a jerk as I remember him. Okay. Well, yep. I'll move on. Uh, and then you've got three other characters, and yeah. they basically ignore Ford. Ford is little more than an extra, you know, a guest starring role in this episode. Yeah. Um, uh, you can argue whether that's a good or bad thing. It doesn't matter. It's, it's what it is. Uh, and so, realistically, in this episode, the only characters that they have to focus on in terms of who are these characters is Shepard and Taylor. Yeah. That's it. Which... Compare that to something like Voyager, because we've yeah. been comparing against Voyager. Voyager has a main cast of seven. Yeah. And uh, all of those seven are brand spanking new. Yeah. Are you counting seven to nine in that seven? Because we don't see her till later. We don't see her till later. I think. I'm, I'm get, I, no, I no, think no. It's a, it's I, I, I was starting to go down the rabbit hole of like, no. But your point remains. Several people, all of them important, all of them now. Yeah. And, you know, as this series progresses, I promise you, we will get more of character pieces on who is Dr. Weir, who is Rodney McKay, yeah. who is Taylor Imagen, who is John Shepard, who is Aiden Ford, right? And even some of the other characters around, right? We'll get those. But in this episode, they only had to focus on introducing two characters to us. Yeah. And I think that helped in keeping the whole story pretty strong. It's it's a, it's fresh and it's new. Yep. All right. So, I think. Well, I, we need to. We need. To, we, I'm looking at the time. We need to move on. <laughs> Enough talking about shows. Time to time to talk about chevrons. Time to talk about chevrons. So, how many Atlantis chevrons? And Atlantis chevrons are exactly the same as SG one chevrons. Yeah. So I'm just going to call them chevrons from now on. Yeah. How many chevrons? Does Atlantis get? So um, we needed an eighth to get here, but I don't think this is an eight Chevron one. Um, there's, it's still a pilot. It's fun. I'm captivated, but uh, in no way did I think that this story was like just like just eye wateringly good. Um, the story was fine, very fine. There was lots of good stuff about it. Uh, and they did a really good job of doing it and it's compelling and the setting is wonderful. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it, but this was an hour and 45 minutes of setting something up. That's good. I mean, I like that, but it's not eight, but it is a seven for me because like I said, really compelling, really interesting. I'm wanting to know more. I, I think that this is cool. I like the characters where they're at, right? I mean, is what, what, what I know at the moment, I'm, I let's keep going. Um, the story was fine. The bad guys are really good. Um, the, the technology is intriguing. Uh, like we, we've, we've opened up the treasure chest, right? Indeed. And inside are glittering wonders, but the big word on that one is wonders. <laughs> like we don't know what these <laughs> things are. <laughs> what does this do? I don't know. It looks stabby. Oh, it's a letter opener. That's not for stabbing at all. So like, you know, we got to figure this stuff out. I'm really excited to figure this stuff out. So for me, this is seven out of seven. What about you? Um, For basically the same reasons that you do, um, I'm not going to go quite to seven. I'm going to hit it with a six. Yeah. 
Um, it's not an eighth chevron, just blow you out of the sky type of thing. No. Um, it's a really, really strong pilot, and it's it's a really great way to introduce uh, the setting and, and this new series and give you a hint of what it's going to be moving forward. Um, but I also want to give it some space to move forward. Uh, so with that, I will just leave it at a six. Yep. All yeah, right. That works. We, we have some, some yeah, we comments. Predictions. predictions. Yeah. Yeah, you want to start with, with the uh, Twitters? The Twitters. All right. Here we go with the Twitters. Righty. First, we've got, and only, we've got Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. He says, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I don't want to get cut off again like last week. Looking at you, Musk. So I'll give a detailed prediction on Facebook. But for now, I'll just predict that this is Brent's favorite episode of Atlantis so far. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Asked Kevin. Good news, Kevin. You're right. Woo-hoo, you are you so got it right. right. So Kevin. far, this is my favorite episode of Atlantis. Now, I got to tell you, though, like it starts strong. Started off real strong. That's true. That's true. All right. That's what All we right. got for the Twitters. All right. Well, we got some Facebooks. Okay. Uh, we start with Sean. Hi, Sean. Sean says, first thing I noticed is quality of filming is superior. Yeah. With every watch through the sudden discovery of... Uh, the sudden discovery of Daniel finding a gate address as no background context as to where he got this information from. Um, uh, understood. Yep. Uh, also, like, let's starting let's starting filming in Atlantis ASAP. Right. Okay. Uh, straight in with the action though with the rogue drone. So that was good. Yep. Uh, he makes a note. Uh, Zed is correct, not Z. With respect, Sean, I disagree. Yeah, that's okay. We we can all we can. I'm wrong every day too. Yeah. Uh, oh, Nareem. Oh, wait, Simon. Oh, oh, okay. Hi, Simon. Wait, who? What? That 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 would be uh, Nareem is the the uh, the character of the Tolan character who. Is, oh yeah 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 right? yeah. Right. He's yeah, now yeah. Simon. Yep. Uh. Uh, it's also taken me this long to recognize Colonel Sumner from Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting him to just slip right through those bars. Yeah. So I'll be honest, though. When I first watched this episode back in 2004, um, I did not pick up that that was the T-1000. Sure. Um, I don't know when I picked up on that, but it... It wasn't just now. Yeah. Uh, I noticed, he said, continues, I noticed a very clean line drawn between SG-1 and Atlantis. One that champagne, once that champagne bottle rolled through, you knew that'd be it for SG-1. Atlantis is a new show after all. Yep. Still a Stargate podcast, Stargate, 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 even if it's a Stargate in a galaxy far, far away, where the first humans and aliens they meet speak English. Of course. Of course. Uh, eight chevrons all around. No, nope. is it out of eight now? Nope, Sean. We're still just going to do out of seven. Just out of seven. But yeah, uh, all right. But good, good, uh, good one. Good, good. Thanks. Thank you, Sean. Uh, next, we have Tim. Hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. Uh, I'm going to guess that Zach gives it a six and Ooh. Brent gives it a five chevrons. Oh. Ooh. It introduces the main characters and the main villains well, but because of that, you have to get through a lot of exposition, which isn't always the most exciting. 
I would give it a five. It is a good episode, but you don't want to start too high. You need somewhere to go. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> have I painted myself in the corner? No, I have not. I am, un- I am unafraid to give shows poor ratings. That's true. All right. We have Rowan next. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, Mmm, I love that new show smell. <laughs> Here we are in Atlantis, which must be in Antarctica because we've seen this redhead before. Uh, just kidding. It's actually a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. Let's dial up that long distance number and go. Yep. No, no, not you, Daniel. It's time to meet some new people, <laughs> including the other half of my Stargate OTP, Dr. Carson Beckett. Mm-hmm. He and Rodney McKay are already squabbling like an old married couple. <laughs> what should their ship name be? McKet? Beckett? Carne? <laughs> Carne, carne asada. Hmm. 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 Uh, Rodson. Rodson. <laughs> okay. They continue. I. Our heroes find themselves in a beautifully designed high-tech underwater city that is somehow clean and dust-free. Millennia effort was mysteriously abandoned. So, of course, don't go getting your sticky fingerprints and muddy boots everywhere. I mean, oh. this queen is still a thing even in even in the Atlantis universe. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, oh, nice. There's a handy exposition hologram in English. What's <laughs> yeah. that about? What's that about a terrible enemy? Oh, never mind that. Atlantis is leaking. If they don't find a way to fix it soon, their shit, their show is over. Chevron one encoded. Nah, we're not doing that. The team find themselves on a world that looks strangely like the Pacific Northwest. I know. What are the odds? <laughs> They're ambushed in the dark by a pair of unarmed children and taken to a nearby village for a swap meet. It's a good thing Shepard is charming because this new colonel is a stiff or will be soon. Am I right? Lol. <laughs> hey <laughs> The locals are afraid of something called the Wraith. I'm sure it's nothing. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Atlantis is failing. We're all gonna... D- oh, I guess everything's fine. Time to send out a search party to find yeah. our missing people. Yeah. Because our heroes are definitely prepared to face an unknown alien threat on its own turf. Anyway, how are you going to get That's through so a wormhole that ends in space? It turns out the Wraith are immortal space vampires, most of whom have been asleep for centuries and are about to wake up hungry. So that's fun. Maybe we can be friends. They just want to know the way to Earth. They're bored with the usual takeout places and looking for something fresh. Like, I feel like General O'Neill isn't going to be thrilled about this. <laughs> this series premiere does a great job of introducing new characters, settings, technology, lore, and villains to create a show with a very different feel within a familiar universe. Yeah. Zach will give it a 6.5. Ooh. And Brett may even give it a 7, but I I'm biased. Did. This episode has an IMDb rating of 8.3, which is a 5.5 chevrons, putting it in the top 25% of Stargate episodes overall. Ah, nice. There you go. Yes. Rowan, you're very close. Yes, indeed. You got very, Brent, very close. And you missed me by a half a chevron. By, a ha- by just one half chevron. By one half chevron. Next, we have Anna. Hi, Anna. Anna says, I'm a big fan of Atlantis. That being said... 
I was also eight when it came out, and the Wraith were pretty scary to me. I'm sure. I would lay on the top bunk of my bed at night thinking of a Wraith was going to climb up my bed and suck my life away. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the imagination of an eight-year-old self. I, I totally get that. Yeah. I did rewatch these episodes and enjoyed them. They aren't my favorite Atlantis episodes, but they definitely aren't my least favorite either. I'm guessing <laughs> six is all around. That's close. Yeah. Very close. Uh, finally, well, finally, next we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. We finally made it to Atlantis. A new series, new characters, new enemies, and a whole new lore to explore. Not to mention a whole new galaxy. But it looks like we're going to be on our own out there. Can't count on Earth to back us up. While I was watching, I was trying hard to put myself in Brent's shoes, as if I was watching this for the first time. And as I did that, I took some notes. Number one. Hey, it's the ice girl that Jonas was friends with. The Frozen episode. Mm -hmm. Her friend is leaving, and it looks like she is having a hard time to let it go. Get it? Because (laughs) Frozen and and let it go. Get it? Got it. Oh, oh, come on. I just want to see if I can get a rising out of you guys. Get it? Get it? (laughs) Uh. Kevin? No. (laughs) Number two. So... Where exactly did Daniel get the address from? At no point did they address where this information is coming from. I get the feeling that it's between weeks or months since New Order, but give us something. I need some headcanon to address this. Number three. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did I just see the name Garwin Sanford in the credits? We know that name. Zach mentioned it earlier. Could it be that Nareem somehow survived the destruction of Talana? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> nope. Number four. We know that guy. That's young Ernest Littlefield. Number five. Get used to hearing ZPM now. You're going to be hearing it a lot. The ZPM. Number six. Is Major Shepard now Steve Urkel? His did I do that line? <laughs> Number seven. Simon. Oh, I guess Nareem didn't survive. They just chose one of the most recognizable SG-1 guest actors to randomly portray a character in Atlantis. I mean, is the Vancouver acting pool so small that someone else couldn't take the 30 seconds of screen time role? Yes, 30 seconds in one line. They could at least have made him look different. (laughs) Put put a wig on him. (laughs) Number eight. Is that Colonel the T-1000? I think it is. Yeah. Number nine. It's nice to see Siler in a scene where he doesn't end up getting injured. Yes. Number 10. Why isn't Walter there? He should be the one dialing the gate here. Yeah, yes. Number 11. Was that Major Wood in the background? Is he going to Atlantis or just helping carry equipment? No, actually, Major Wood, Martin Wood, uh, so like... When uh, when Shepard was look had the close up shots of him looking at that little uh, life sense detector. Yes, that was actually Martin Wood's hand that was doing that. Ah, there's his cameo. There it is. Um, da, 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 da. number twelve. That bottle of champagne looked pretty big. That had to be over seven hundred fifty milliliters. Yes. Um, just a second. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so for time. Factors, uh, he has 21 of these things, and I will let you all go online and read them. (laughs) Kevin, Kevin, (laughs) 21. All right, so he predicts a five from both of us. Oh, close. 
Very close. Close to you. And not too bad for me. I mean, like, you know, but I I was feeling pretty positive. Yep. Okay. So those are our Facebooks. And now it's time to go to the uh, uh, emails. That's what that word is. (laughs) (laughs) The word I'm looking for is emails. Um, let's see here. So, for Atlantis Rising, one of my favorite pilot episodes of all times, I predict both of you will give it a seven. Wait, who is this from? Oh, this is from Jacob. <laughs> Hi, Jacob. Sorry. <laughs> so, so Jacob sent an email with with a prediction for uh, the next Stargate SG One episode, uh-huh. and then he's like, "Oh, that's not wrong." And that's and so he, he sent this one, and I just skipped a step. I'm sorry, gotcha. Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Jacob. All right. Um, now we go to Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. Okay, Antarctica, the final front... Uh, scratch that, rewind. Pegasus Galaxy, the final frontier. <laughs> These are the adventures, adventures of the Atlantis expedition. It's five-year mission to explore strange ancient technology, to seek out ancient <laughs> life and ancient civilizations, to boldly go where no Tauri has gone before. Yes. The original military commander of the scientific expedition has swiftly been replaced by an unfortunate encounter with the Wraith. After an unfortunate encounter with the Wraith, our new military commander has charmed the local leading lady. Now he has to choose his team. Who will it be? The lead scientist who is totally rational and not in touch with his feelings? How about the doctor with the charming (laughs) accent who insists he is a doctor, a real medical doctor? The opening action sequence with a drone chasing the helicopter encapsulates the paradox of ancient technology. It's more advanced than we can handle, with the potential for us to learn so much unless it kills us first. Yes. The visuals and music are captivating. The characters will warm up once they thaw from all that time in Antarctica. Exposition is hard to avoid when you travel to a new galaxy. There's good stuff here, but the promise of more to come. Brett gives it a six and Zach close. a six and a half. Oh, yeah. Also very close, close Lydia Ann. Very, very close. Dan. Hi, Dan. Here we go. The first episode of the brand new, completely original TV show, except for the story and the characters in the background. But hey, this Stargate thing is new, right? I think I thought it was good. I think Brent will like the Wraith far more than the Guawuld. So yes. still bumbling fools sometimes, but more believable as villains. Yes. Under normal circumstances, it would feel weird to rate a first episode. But this is still Stargate continuing the story we've known for so long. I gave it a six and a half. Yeah. Zach will give this a five and a, or a five and a half, but Brent will give it a six. As far That's as pilot close. episodes go, this is pretty good. You've got yep. everything you need. Ticking, clock, Jeopardy, new allies, new enemies, a little comedy, etc., etc. Yeah, it was good. Yep. All right. I apologize for racing through these things, but uh, I have someplace I need to be in like 20 minutes. Oh, golly. We got to get cooking. Yes. Um, David says a whole bunch of things about Hi, rings David. of power and bias buffers and encoding and all of that stuff. Yes. Uh, he says Brent's going to give it a six Close. and Zach is going to give it a six. Uh, right on the money. Ex- no, you gave it a seven. No, no, no. He gave, he gave you right on the money. Oh, he got me. A, yes, yes, yes. That's true. Yes. No, no boop, boop, doops. No, no, no boop, 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 doops. But very close for many of them. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, everybody. Yes, uh, thank you. And let's see here. That's the one we're on. All right. Now, the next episode of Stargate SG-1 is yes. entitled Lockdown. What's it about? Lockdown. 
Uh, and I can't think for very long because you got to go. Okay, so lockdown. Okay, up uh, next time on Stargate SG One, we go back to our favorite friends, the ones who actually uh, do things on Earth, not those silly people that go over there in the Pegasus Galaxy. We don't even know the name of that planet that they're on. We're just calling it Atlantis right now. It's probably something else. Probably called Oceana. Who knows? Anyway, back here on Earth, they are going and they're, they they go through the gate to find themselves in a strange new world. But when they get there, suddenly everything is going terribly wrong. It appears that they have stepped themselves right into the middle of some kind of terrible trap. Or is it? All they know is that they can't seem to get out anywhere. The doors are locked. The windows are locked. The gate's locked again. There, there's a trap door here, but that's locked. Uh, there seems to be an attic, but you can't get into it. That's locked. Oh, no. What can possibly be happening here? This is what happens when Brent has precisely six seconds to try to think of a pun. He can't think of diddly squat. <laughs> His brain goes on lockdown. Join us next time for Stargate SG-1 Lockdown. So suffice it to say, the episode Lockdown has nothing to do with your brain. I bet But it you might differ. have something to do with somebody else's brain. We <laughs> should watch the promo and find out. Okay. Are you ready? I am almost ready. There I am. Okay, yes. All right, I am, I am hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. An encounter on the International Space Station leads to oh, an incursion no. in Stargate Command. Oh, no. If anyone can be affected, how can anyone be trusted? Oh no! Invaded Stargate Command, and what is its plan? Well, there's Carter at a computer. Point back to the infirmary. Oh no! Oh boy! Uh Oh. Everybody's stuck in Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah. Uh-oh. That's no good. That is a lockdown. That is definitely a lockdown. Well, everybody, thank you very much for joining us on this trek through the pilot episode of Stargate Atlantis. Yes. Uh, join us next time as we talk about SG-1's episode Lockdown. Yes. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or thoughts, email us at Walking Through the Stargate or follow us on Twitter or go to the Facebooks or the Discords or whatever. All those yep. fun things. It's all there, all there. And with that, I say, I am Zach. <laughs> and I'm Brent. <laughs> and this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>